You are listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that little man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Okay. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown six pass touchdown of the game. day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team. Your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And on today's show, we continue our season review with the inside linebackers position, off-ball linebackers. We'll talk a little bit about the pros and cons of the offseason as a football fan. And we'll welcome in Kyle Krabs of the Draft Network to get his observations from Mobile at the Senior Bowl. From the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is... The Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. Almost missed the cue there. We uh, will get to the Vic Fangio podcast when it's announced. That should happen after the Super Bowl. So that is coming. The Dragons are coming. Uh, We also got news. The Dolphins moved on from offensive line coach Matt Applebaum. uh, Per the story from Armando Salguero on the website, I will not reference here on my podcast. Uh, He said that, Frank Smith spent too much time in the offensive line room and wants to get back to being more offensive focused in general. And the Dolphins will look to find an O-line coach who can basically take on the roles that Frank Smith ran last year in addition to all the offensive line roles uh, required at that position. But you guys know the drill by now. 10 coaches in nine years at that position would not be surprised to see another big addition here. People like working for Coach McDaniel. Getting Vic Fangio is a massive, massive pull and a, a great nod of, you know, not having your ego bigger than your desire to to win football games and to be great down here. Uh, OJ McDuffie, you guys know him, said that the offensive line is the toughest position to coach. And I've seen this stated multiple times from people I respect quite a bit in the industry that sometimes, or not sometimes, but the offensive line can really make coaching as important as the personnel that you have. And I think that's evident when you look at the New England Patriots over the years, because when they had Dante Scarnecchia, they had great offensive lines. And when they didn't, they did not. And there was a lot of similar personnel in the years that Scarnecchia would come and leave and go back and, and leave again. So I think there's validity to that. And with all that said, this is the last week of the 2022 NFL season with the Super Bowl coming up just six days away from the time you hear this podcast, maybe five days if you hear it on Tuesday. I always take a little bit of time to kind of reflect on the fact that we don't get Dolphins football for another seven months. I then enjoy the remaining playoff games as much as I possibly can. I've talked about that here on the podcast. Then you get a little bit of the blues, realizing there's no football at all for that same length of time. And I do quickly realize, you know, nothing from a hobby perspective brings me more joy than the football season, especially, you know, now. Like, Monday night football is always a must-watch after the games on Sunday. And for me, Sunday, Monday's the longest work days of the week. Then you get two days with no football, and you're right back in the saddle again on Thursday night for the weekend. That's the part of the offseason I loathe the most, not having a game every two or three days that I'm looking forward to watching, and then obviously college ball on Saturdays as well. And frankly, I'm all the way in 
on the Eastern time zone starts time as we venture here very deep into the weeds. But those 8.15, 8.20 kickoffs, I don't know when the hell they kick off anymore, uh, those always fall in line with the conclusion of bedtime. So it's always a perfect way to end the day. Like, that's my personal time without, you know, having to wrestle and run around and chase kids and get dinner ready and get dishes and all that stuff taken care of. Once the day is done, Monday night football, Thursday night football kicks off. I look forward to those nights throughout the week. But now we get the off season, which I also find to be a blast, even when it doesn't involve our team. Like the quarterback carousel is always fun to project. Like a fun aside here. I used to be a regular call-in guest on the Brock and Sock show. It was the ESPN affiliate of Seattle Morning Talk Radio from nine to noon up in the Seattle area. Uh, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. One time Salk asked the listeners to call in and talk him off the ledge heading into the 2012 offseason. I know you all remember that year. It was the year of the quarterback carousel that really got this thing going uh, the first time that I can recall. Peyton Manning changing teams. Matt Flynn was coming off that monster performance. Remember when backups could like parlay one big game into like getting traded for a second round pick and a massive contract? It doesn't really happen anymore. But that was also the Luck RG3, Tannehill, Whedon, Foles, Wilson draft year. And I remember telling Sock on the air, who was convinced they were going to miss out the Seahawks on top of the draft, and Matt Flynn, who was, you know, besides Peyton Manning, the big get that year, because of Joe Philbin's relation to Matt Flynn in Green Bay and getting the job in Miami. And I called in and told him, no, the Dolphins are going to be all in on Ryan Tannehill and bring back Matt Moore. And this is when I was writing as a hobby, not getting paid, and just analyzing the game as a huge fan of it. And I was right. In fact, the website my buddy ran that I was the football writer for, the Bleacher Beat, uh, back in those days, I used to write... um handicapping line handicapping stories on football and, and projecting records and all that fun stuff but he posted a story up there where I predicted all the quarterbacks destinations that year and I did pretty good outside of a few misses I think I had but the Dolphins Tannehill call was the crux of all the success in that exercise so what I'm saying is I'm excited I think this will be a big year for the quarterback carousel we've gotten two dominoes really already one official the Ravens came out and said they would tag Lamar Jackson if they don't get a a long-term deal done and of course you can trade tagged players but watching the Ravens end of season press conference and a point I like to make when people ask me about it They built that entire offense around Lamar Jackson's skill set. And you don't just strip that down and start over with the same personnel and get high-level production in the post-Lamar Jackson era. Moving on from him would require a total shift in philosophy and personnel. And that's a playoff team who might have been a healthy quarterback away from competing for the AFC crown this year. Then, of course, you get Tom Brady's retirement, and that leaves the potential trades, right? Like Aaron Rodgers, Derek Carr, the foremost among that group. Jimmy G's also a free agent. I would assume he gets some offers to go be somebody's QB1 by at least one organization. The Raiders make sense there, if not Rodgers. And if, you know, if it's not Rodgers and Green Bay, what kind of market does Jordan Love have, who, frankly, I would rather have over one or two years of... uh, Weirdo Rodgers. It's always fun, man. The Stafford trade, was that before the Super Bowl or right after it? I can't remember. I do remember the Alex Smith trade was exactly, you know, this time whenever that happened, like right between the conference championship and Super Bowl. Plus, we get March Madness, the start of the baseball season, and I haven't been this fired up for a Mariners season in literally 25 years. So we got that. Heat playoffs and a great South Florida golfing weather uh, time on the calendar on top of more time with the family. So what I'm saying is the off season, it ain't all bad. 
Speaking of the offseason, let's go ahead and get to our year-end review and go back to the defensive side of the ball here with our inside linebackers. And it was a rough year for that position group. I will say the fourth rank in rushing yards per game and tied for fourth in yards per carry does lend itself a little bit to this position. I tend to put more on the defensive line uh, for that for their part in that stat and that ranking 256 total tackles here among the four players 99 run stops 21 tackles for loss pass rush production was pretty good 36 pressures 14 hits and nine and a half sacks of course that's a lot of blitzing reps though but the ball production was not good no picks it's just six passes defensed one forced fumble and no recoveries um as far as the individuals go, again, there was only a few guys here. Channing Tindall, number 41, in order of jersey number, played just nine snaps on defense, totaled three tackles. That includes special teams, didn't have any other statistics. Number 45, Duke Riley, is set to be an unrestricted free agent. 45 tackles, three for loss. He had 12 run stops, nine pressures, one hit, and one sack on the quarterback. He had two passes defense, was his only ball production. Uh, Sam Egwavon, number 49, had four tackles, and two of those were run stops. He's also a free agent. So is Elandon Roberts, number 52, who had 107 tackles, 10 for loss, 40 run stops. He had 13 pressures, six hits, and four and a half sacks, no ball production. And then number 55, Jerome Baker, 100 tackles, six for loss, 45 run stops is a good number, 14 pressures, seven QB hits, and four sacks. He got four passes defense and one forced fumble. So again, ball production way down, pass rush production pretty good from a defense that calls on their linebackers to blitz really more than almost any other club in the NFL in this previous defensive iteration, but just the group as a whole. Like I start with Channing Tindall, who was the Dolphins' first draft pick back in 2022 as a player that we talked about on the Friday podcast as a potential key to unlocking not having to spend resources at a need. If he steps up and becomes that guy, awesome. But we talked about how little football he played in college, getting that one year of starting experience. And it was tough for him to get on the field because there's just a lot to learn with responsibilities, with rules, you know, what certain checks do and what that means. And, uh, you know, we saw him make some brief cameos this past season. I can think of that good spy rep he had on Justin Fields to usher him out of bounds, shy of the sticks on their opening drive, I think it was, to force a field goal and post a scoring seven and a touchdown. I think when you envision what Channing can develop into, you know, that's it. Your modern day linebacker with speed to burn capable of playing all three dire- directions, going downhill, falling back into coverage, or playing sideline to sideline against those stretch zone concepts. And then the rest of the room on the other side of that coin really is Jerome Baker, a player who, you know, he's showing that skill set as a pro, had that great pass rush season back in 2021, but it hasn't really been the same since then. I do commend him for the ability to play stack off ball on the edge, you know, Sam and Will, he can play really any position and he makes a lot of checks and calls as the kind of the signal caller on the defense there in the middle. But the, like, where's the calling card? The pass rush? No, it's just free runs on the quarterback coverage not really does he destroy blocks in the running game not really that's what a Landon Roberts does best but that's a very small piece of the puzzle at the position group here in the modern day NFL and I thought it was his best year as a pro last year I thought he was decisive and brought the lumber as best he can but you can still see the shortcomings when certain teams put him in positions to attack those shortcomings the bills that fourth down possession uh, on the opening possession, I should say, the fourth down touchdown throw was a coverage bust by Landon Roberts in that that first game back in Miami in week three. If you're going to put him on the field in your base, teams will attack the play-action game and go after him in the passing game. So you, ideally, you want to avoid that type of player on the field. So if the Dolphins want to 
maximize the defense, you get a player who doesn't have to be subbed out in certain roles to fulfill that spot. And I think their entire linebacking room currently as it stands is that way. Channing Tindall being the one guy that I think can be a versatile multiple three down type of player that you don't have to worry about uh, removing in those situations. And then of course, Sam Egwavon has been a glue part of the special teams since he arrived back in 2019. So you can see some upside in the room, but probably needing to make some some moves to improve. And if that's Channing Tindall improving, that would be great. If not, free agency and the draft, here's what's out there. We need more ball production, man. I would say pass rush production because of how we played in the past. But with the new defense, to me, it's more about the football. We will not blitz nearly as much. Uh, there will be some fire zones thrown in there, which is zone coverage with the fifth rusher coming where you pull back a defensive tackle, a defensive edge, and replace their pass rush with a, uh, a linebacker who, or maybe even a defensive back who you didn't expect. That's pretty big in the Fangio system. Maybe there's a chance to get Jerome Baker on free runs there, but I prefer a rusher who has a counter move to just opposed to just running free, who can beat a back with their blitz. But man, like if you, all you need to do that is speed, then I've, again, I've got another linebacker who's faster and plays at literally 10% of that cost. So we'll see what happens there. But for comparison, you know, talking about ball production from this group, we had one forced fumble, no picks and six passes defensed, right? We're talking about close to 2000 snaps. What did the best linebacker core in the NFL do in San Francisco? 17 passes of defense, that's 11 more. Two picks, that's two more. Three forced fumbles, that's two more. And three fumble recoveries, that's three more. That's honestly good to me for one or two wins. Those are game-changing plays. And you replace that production in literally any of our losses, most of them probably become wins. The Vikings game, I think, would have. Maybe even the Bengals game. For sure, the Niners and Chargers games and the Buffalo games that are late, the Green Bay game. Any of those games, you give me that linebacker production, I think you win those games. So what's out there in a really impressive free agent class? And we'll go more into depth in the contracts where we expect, you know, from a resource allocation commitment, uh, more in depth down the line. But the pro football focus top 100 list is out and they usually do a pretty good job of gauging the market in terms of what players would or could get. Uh, Funny money season, man, it always is. And with that, one of the trickier positions to gauge in terms of impact and resource allocation, all of that, there are some clear fits here, I think. Now, we will also do an analogs podcast in the future, looking at Fangio defenses and what it looks like in terms of body type and prototype and makeup and all that stuff. But in terms of responsibilities, you have to cover. You have to be able to beat blocks with physicality typically. And those are one and two. Pass rush to me is a bonus. But again, there's not tons of blitzing. So instincts, like a Zach Thomas type of instincts would be awesome. Get yourself in position before you have to react. Alignment, reaction, flow, anticipation, all that stuff are key traits at this position. And there's nobody better at that in this class of free agents to me than David Long. Levante David from Tampa Bay could be, but he's a little bit longer in the tooth and was going to get a big contract. Uh, I tend to want to pay the bigger contracts to younger players, but this defense will often call upon 5-1 looks, you know, from our 4-2 or 3-3 personnel, whether that's, you know, it doesn't matter who the grouping you have out there, you're going to have five down and one off-ball linebacker a lot of the times. So think Phillips and Chubb down off the edge, Sealer and Wilkins as your five or four-eye techniques, or, or even your, you know, your two head up over the guard and Raekwon Davis on the nose. The biggest need this defense has, in my opinion, right up there with cornerback, depending on what happens in-house at that position, is a player that can fit multiple gaps, keep himself clean of second-level climbers, and cover the hooks and curl flat zones. That's a lot to ask for. I understand that. But man, if I'm spending big money, 
It's David Long from the Tennessee Titans. He is super, super instinctive, who understands landmarks and concepts and just doesn't cover grass. He finds a body to cover in your man match and your zone match coverage concepts. Spot Rack has him at just $5 million, which is crazy, and that's why I'm not going to use Spot Rack anymore for market value because PFF has him at four years, $55 million, just under 14 per year. You know, that's more in line with his value. The next top of the market options, Tremaine Edmonds, and I don't like that value nearly as much. TJ Edwards is my next preferred top of the market choice. Breakout year, great against the run and in coverage and the size and makeup to, you know, to man that role here. Now, if you want to go more affordable, gosh, Aziz Al-Shahir makes a lot of sense. No false steps in his game, length, pass rush, and, and, and uh, pass lane disruption. I also really like Leighton Vander Esch's game. Weird career, but man, he has that Brian Urlacher type of frame and athletic ability where I think he can get down the, the pipe and cover and also play forward, uh, call upon him to play that tough role in the middle. I don't think uh, Okereke is a fit. I'm also intrigued by Jermaine Pat from the Bengals. Uh, he's fantastic in coverage. PFF had him with just two missed tackles playing in coverage, no missed tackles against the run, and only allowed four explosive plays in the passing game all year long. Uh, and the Bengals needing to load up for Burrow, Chase, and Higgins and all those guys. Maybe he does skate free. Probably my third option among the top of the market guys. They are David Long. I didn't even talk about TJ Edwards who had a breakout year this year. Uh, great against the run and in coverage and the size makeup to man that role here. And then Jermaine Pratt in the mid-tier option. Aziz Al-Shahir, Leighton Vander Esch. I also put Drew Tranquil in there. And my bargain players... It might be Duke Riley. It might be a Landon Roberts. I don't think you're going to upgrade the position going this route. But if you want to go catch lightning in a bottle somehow, the way the Packers did a few years ago with Devondre Campbell, maybe it's Alex Anzalone. Maybe it's Dakota Allen who played for Fangio previously in Denver. Maybe it's Quincy Williams. I don't really think so. I think this is an area you can absolutely justify going and spending a decent chunk of change on. There's still $19 million in cash owed to Baker, but you can get out of that deal for $8.7 million dead money uh, this year. He's been paid the guarantees in the contract already, but making 8.7 this, 11.1 next year. So you can supplement the position with the idea of maybe getting out of that deal next year, or maybe you stay the course and go this route towards the draft. Not a great off-ball linebacker class, but we aren't in the market for a first-rounder anyway, so maybe it's a good thing. I don't think Clemson's Trenton Simpson is an option. He would be a fantastic option if he makes it to pick 52. I don't think he does. 240 pounds, physical, best athlete at the position in the draft. He especially excels in coverage. Uh, Drew Sanders, I think, is probably next from Arkansas, but he's kind of a hybrid edge rusher. Uh, then you get Jack, uh, Jack Campbell from Iowa, something of a draft Twitter favorite. He's been fun to watch on tape. He's a true Mike backer who is thought to have the best floor of the class. Six foot five, 250 pounds, played that Mike position his entire life, and it shows in the way he takes on blocks and reads angles. You might have to use 52 on this player. Maybe you can move back or up into the late end of, of round two, early round three. We'll see, but he's the best fit in the draft in terms of a true pure Mike linebacker. And then I've talked about Dayon Henley a lot from Washington State. He's a day two pick. He might be more in that Drew Sanders category than Jack Campbell for edge hybrid. Frankly, I draft him and figured out where he goes after the fact. Former quarterback, played wide receiver too. You see the athletic ability, his change of direction skills. 12 tackles for loss, four sacks, one interception, three forced fumbles this year. We talked about needing more ball production. He can do that. So frankly, I think your solution is in this crop that I've mentioned here today. I would prioritize David Long, TJ Edwards, Aziz Al-Shahir, Leighton Vander Esch, Jack Campbell, and Dayon Henley. I think one of those guys can help you maximize this Fangio defense. There are some day three options, but they all come with, you know, baggage. Uh, Noah Sewell, the Oregon linebacker, 
Not the coverage savant, but he's a nice, cheap Alandon Roberts type of player. Thumper, better pass rusher than Roberts. Not a space player. But after that, it's all sub package. And, you know, special teams guys like Sewell, uh, Cam Jones, Indiana, Dorian Williams from Tulane, Nick Herbig from Wisconsin. Not a bad crop to choose from your fit uh, to fit your needs. So, Plenty of options there. Speaking of options, let's go ahead and take our first break here. Long podcast today and come back on the other side. We'll talk all things Senior Bowl with Kyle Krabs and the Draft Network. That's next. Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Joining me now on the Drive Time podcast is the head honcho, the big dog, the boss at the Draft Network. He's also the host of Locked On Dolphins. You know him. He's Kyle Krabs. Kyle, did I get the TDN title right? I'm pretty close, I think. Um, Yeah, let, let's sit with the big dog. I think that's the one that resonated with me the most out of everything that you threw out here. So, yeah, the, the big dog's here. We're ready to talk a little bit of Dolphins, a little bit of Draft. Excited to be chatting with my good buddy, Travis Wingfield, and uh, give Dolphins fans a treat. It's one of my go-to nicknames for anybody, man, woman, size, shape, doesn't matter. You're a big dog either way, but you are the big dog at the Draft Network. And because of that, you're down in Mobile for the Senior Bowl. How is it treating you, man? I saw you guys are doing some some live stuff around dinner time. I know you're busy during the day uh, watching practices and grinding the tape, as the uh, the handle would suggest. Uh, it doesn't look like you guys got one of those annual miserable weather days this time around either. Uh, we did, but it, it's actually just more, it was more like a mild day for South Florida residents because it was hot oh. the first day we got, we got torched. I talked with the executive director, Jim Nagy he said, dude, I can't remember a, a day of practice that was that hot in like 20 years of the senior bowl. So it was felt like training camp weather. And, uh, we, we paid the price with our, with our sunburn, but that's, uh, that's the risk you take down in Mobile, and it, the practices have been great. Uh, the event's been great. The players have been great. Had a lot of chance to meet a, a lot of really compelling young men who are getting ready to make the jump to the NFL and uh, excited for them for the opportunity that they have in front of them and, and to talk about some of the ones that might be fits for the Dolphins. Let's go ahead and start right there then, Kyle, because that's what you're on the podcast for. Dolphins and draft expert kind of meets this intersection for us at a perfect time every draft season, and we haven't had you on since the last draft cycle. Um, before we get into the Senior Bowl, though, just wanted to check in on the bigger picture, the main reason we have in the podcast here talking Miami Dolphins football, just want to kind of gauge how you're feeling about the team coming off the 2020 season that had so many highs, so many lows, a playoff berth, uh, a near victory there, near surprise victory in the wild card round, some aggressive roster decisions. I think last time you and I spoke was probably after the Tyreek Hill trade and talking about using those late ones to get premier yeah. players. Dolphins turned around and did that again. Uh, a reported move for a big name defensive coordinator. A lot has happened in 360 
365 days. How are you feeling about the Dolphins right now heading into the offseason? Well, I, I was just having this this conversation down here in Mobile with somebody on a personnel staff and, and talking about process versus results. And I know that that's something that that is listeners to any any shows that I do would not be surprised to hear me invoke that that phrase. But I really do think the process for Miami has been good. And, and for as much as you know, the the discussion for Dolphins fans may or not may not be focused about postseason success. Let's put it in the perspective of there's 12 teams in the NFL. Um, that have 28 or more wins over the last three seasons. The Dolphins are one of those 12, and they're only one of four teams to have three consecutive winning seasons across that stretch. So, I mean, you, you think about the the results for Miami, they haven't had the big breakthrough that so many Dolphins fans have been waiting for for so long, but the process is bearing fruit in a way for Miami that they, fans should be really excited about the direction of the team. And we're coming into an offseason where you know, Miami has, has – doubled down on a young quarterback that showed growth this year. And obviously the, the offensive production versus what it had been in previous season speaks for itself. And now you already uh, have, have indicated that you're going to be making some changes in other key spots to help facilitate this team continuing to evolve and take the next step. So I think it's a very exciting time to be a Dolphins fan in general. Not to mention, like we talked about, the midseason moves that kind of almost ushered in that new wave, at least on one side of the football with Bradley Chubb. And we just haven't had this team, or seen this team rather, invest so heavily at that edge rush position. Now they have a couple of, of guys and even guys that are up for contracts this offseason that really got after it. And so I'm excited to see what can be done on that side of the football year two going into, or I should say going into year two of Mike McDaniel's offense. I mean, you're hitting a lot of the notes we talk about here on drag time, especially process over results uh, in that in that vein. And speaking of uh, this offseason and some more resources used to put into this football team to improve it in 2023, um, the biggest way to do that, or one of them, is the draft, right? And I think the, the draft yeah. starts in Mobile. I'll go ahead and throw Jim that... Uh, that complimentary uh, tagline here on the podcast. His ears are burning right now. <laughs> he did the show a couple of years ago, so I think he'd be happy to hear that. Uh, we, we support the Senior Bowl very big time here on the, on the Draft Time Podcast. Very bigly, I, I guess I should have said. But let's go ahead and start uh, here. And uh, how you like this year's crop just in general? Like what's, who, who's the carved up hand of the class? How you liking this Senior Bowl crop and, and what's sticking out to you so far? Man, so this Senior Bowl class for me maybe lacks some of the, the top end of the first round talent that you've become accustomed to attending here at the Senior Bowl. And I think that's more of a testament of this draft class in general. You know, when, when we are, are stacking these players and doing rankings, I'm going to be honest, you, you get the first six names down on the board and you're like, well, whoever's going to be number seven really feels like they should be 17. Mm -hmm. it's, it, there is this little bit of a vacuum. And in that vein, it's a great embodiment of the value that I think the Dolphins got with the, the draft selection that they chose to invest with that number 29 overall pick, which started with San Francisco, and then it was in Miami, and then it went to Denver, and now it's in New Orleans. So, it, I mean, it might change hands another four times by the time the draft actually rolls around. But um, uh, I think Miami is, is really well positioned to have a number of um, players that are stars down here in the strike zone for the Dolphins with their three day two selections. And, and you ask me who shines and the first name that comes to mind for me is Kansas state cornerback, Julius Brents, uh, who's long, he's physical. He can play zone. He can play man. He had an awesome big 12 championship game against Quentin Johnston, who a lot of people associate with being uh, a top 20, top 25 selection in this draft class. Brents has, has been, uh, an absolute stalwart and standout. And I think another name that is of a position for need for the Dolphins is Luke Musgrave, the tight end from Oregon State, who only played in two games this season, uh, dealt with injury. He said it was the first time he missed time since peewee football. 
Um, but from a height, weight, speed perspective, like you, you'd heard the, the rumblings of the league being high on Luke Musgrave and seeing him in person down here, it's very apparent why that's the case. Uh, the question is whether or not these guys have boosted themselves into a stratosphere in which if Miami fell in love with one of them down here and continues throughout their process, um, if they're going to be in the strike zone or if you'd have to be ag- aggressive to go get one of those guys to potentially help fill a need for your roster. Yeah, you're hitting the right notes, man, because it seems like every single year that kind of, I guess day two picks in general, it seems like there's always a handful of guys that went through the process, played well in the senior bowl, uh, tested well in Indianapolis, wound up being like, you know, that, I guess, 50 to pick 75 range. And that wind up being like an all pro in a couple of years. I'm thinking like Terry McLaurin, Debo Samuel, a couple examples. Yep. And those are both receivers. But, um, you know, every year it seems like we get that, especially on the offensive line too. The, the offensive line, it seems like it's a small school guy every year. I'm sure you'll mention Cody Mock at some point, but let's go ahead and get back there. Cause you mentioned cornerbacks, you mentioned tight end. I think offensive line's always uh, an area you focus on for every team, every single year. And we've seen some good buzz from that group. And uh, let's kind of go ahead and whittle it down here because we've heard Coach McDaniel go in depth on this a few times, um, retraining the way these guys play the game, the way they fire off the football uh, compared to maybe how they played it in different schemes. I thought we saw Rob Hunt have his best year in this system. I thought we saw Connor Williams transition to a new position and become one of the five best, maybe three or two best centers in the NFL. Uh, that's a discussion for another day. We saw Teron Armstead do what Teron Armstead does and dominate. With all that knowledge in the back of your mind, which players in this game or this week of practice fit that mold for what the Dolphins like on the offensive line? Well, I, I think you, you invoked the right name first off the bat with Cody Motch. Now, he he wasn't uh, dominating throughout the course of the week. He, he, he was tested at times with first step quickness and twitch, and it's important to remember, well, he was a tackle at North Dakota State. Uh, but he played tackle, guard, and center on both sides of the ball this week in practice. So it, if there was ever, hey, let me get a new left guard, let me get a new right tackle, you know who stood up? Cody Watch. And he went and got in line, and he got up there, and he got as many reps as he could. So you love that competitiveness for him as something that really pops. I think John Michael Schmitz, the, the center from Minnesota, is a big center, uh, but but he is very fluid. Minnesota ran a lot of zone concepts in their rushing offense, and then they built RPOs off of that. And if that sounds familiar for Dolphins fans, well, it probably should because zone concepts and RPOs off of that is there's some overlap between what Miami uh, has showcased as, as maybe being staples of their offense as they continue to grow and evolve and re- retool the offensive personnel uh, and what Minnesota did uh, when John Michael Schmitz, who was there for six years, uh, did and, and was a staple in the center of that uh, that unit. The nice thing about John is he has guard uh, center flexibility. So you might hear, oh, well, he's a center. Well, we got Connor. Well, yeah, but this is a 315-pound offensive lineman who has guard versatility too. So if he were a player for the Dolphins that ended up being on the board in an area where they felt he was the appropriate kind of fit, I, I don't think he, they'd be restricted by personnel decision-making to, to have to choose one guy or the other to be on the field. The third name that I would mention, uh, Matthew Bergeron, tackle from Syracuse. Long, fluid, movement skills are good. He actually showcased a better anchor here in Mobile than I thought he showcased uh, on tape at times, and that's really promising uh, when you consider that Syracuse offense was either a Ronde Gadsden Jr. for another name that Dolphins fans will recognize, uh, Sean Tucker, the running back, or bust offensively. So they were very limited in what they could do, and I think that that – uh, put the offensive line in some disadvantageous situations throughout the course of the season for Syracuse. Well, you isolate the variable of Matthew Bergeron and what he was able to do down here. And he moves like his own tackle. 
I can tell you that. And he's built like a tackle. And now all of a sudden he's dropping anchor in one-on-ones where you have a lot of grass to either side of you that you have to cover. So you have to be a really good reactive natural athlete. Um, but then he was getting movement in the run game too. So uh, I think those are the, probably the three names. If I were to evoke a center, a guard and a tackle uh, that, that popped to me for the kind of movement skills and, and aggressiveness and competitive nature that we're probably affiliating with what the Dolphins uh, would like to add if they are, are retooling that offensive line in any number of spots. I get a chance to see Aranda Gatson every Sunday at the radio station for uh, he does pregame, we do postgame, so we see him down there. And uh, it's good talking to Aranda. He's very, very proud of his son over there at Syracuse. So that was a cool shout out there here on the podcast. He's he awesome, should be because he's an absolute baller, man. <laughs> all dude, all the guys that we grew up watching, all their kids are going to be better than even they were. Like Marvin Harrison's kid, man. It's 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 something to watch. It's it blows my mind. Hey, quick follow before we take a break here, real quick. Uh, you mentioned John Michael Schmidt, and er, say it again, the name. John Michael Schmitz. Schmitz. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, and you mentioned six, you know, six years in college. Uh, something I've seen, you know, around draft communities or whether it's just Twitter or whatever, I don't know. But people talking about like breakout age and you know being too old of a prospect is a downside for like quarterbacks or receivers. But is that a benefit for the offensive line? Like, does the league kind of like a 24, 25 year old offensive lineman they can draft and they know he's going to come in mature, kind of as ready for pro football as you can be? Yeah, I, I certainly think you see this trend with offensive linemen in general where they come into the league and you kind of have this culture shock of uh, the difference between the college game and the pro game. But you know, Michael Schmitz playing in the Big Ten for as long as he did and, and facing a lot of NFL talent and then being exposed to all the different kinds of, of defenses, I certainly think there's a little bit less of a concern with the physical maturation of the player and what that strike zone looks like versus the mental maturation of the player and the strike zone that they have to kind of overlap as many peak years as possible. And for offensive linemen uh, to, to be a higher floor player, uh, I certainly think helps build a resume for you to be coveted more because everybody needs like seven good offensive linemen. And we know that's not the way the NFL works. There's very few teams that have, five or six, let alone seven to have the appropriate depth that they need. So yeah, if, if you can alleviate some of those concerns and be a high floor player, I certainly think it helps boost your stock at that group just because of how many you need to roster to feel good about the entire unit. Not to mention the position flexibility too, which has always been a kind of a mainstay down here uh, with Dolphins offensive lines. Good stuff, Kyle. Let's go ahead and take a break here real quick. We'll come back on the other side, talk about skill players, defensive backs, and the rest of the crop here at the Senior Bowl in Mobile. Kyle Krabs, the Draft Network and Locked On Dolphins. Coming back next here, Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. 
talking all things Senior Bowl down in Mobile. Kyle Krabs, Locked On Dolphins podcast, and the resident big dog was his title, I believe, at the draft network we came up with. Uh, he's given us all all things Miami Dolphins related draft prospects here. Dolphins got a couple of picks on day three, three to be exact, and then I think is it three, two more on day three, uh, round six and seven for the Dolphins. So. Not a lot of meat on the bone for this draft class, but plenty of premium picks there in the top uh, 100 or so. And Kyle, I want to talk about the skill spots here because, you know, Miami had their best offense in 25-something years. I forget the exact number. Uh, We know we've got playmakers all over the field, but focusing on the running backs and receiver positions, so we move tight end here for a moment. Who's caught your attention as potential draft picks among receivers and running backs and what Miami likes to do in this offensive system? Yeah, I think there's a number of backs who have really, really popped. One of them being Tajay Spears uh, from Tulane. He's probably been the most consistent back from start to finish throughout the week of practices. Um, Came in a little bit bigger than expected. He's got really violent cuts. He can run between the tackles. He's got some explosiveness to hit some big plays. He did that in practice this week. So um, I think that's probably the big winner. Uh, I know Illinois running back Chase Brown didn't have a great consistent week from a a practice to practice performance perspective, but I still, I have a hard time forgetting the tape with Chase Brown and he had a phenomenal year this year and came in at five, nine and a half, 215 pounds, a little bigger uh, as well than expected. And and he's definitely got explosiveness to the edge. Uh, So those are the two backs uh, that, that when I look at Miami and if they choose to go in a different direction than either a Jeff Wilson or a Raheem Mostert, those guys are probably going to be middle round type selections at the running back position. When you factor in the positional value of running backs yeah. uh, at wide receiver, there's been a lot of really, really interesting guys there. You want speed. You got Nathaniel tank Dell from Houston, who was uncoverable through the first two days of practice. You want size. Uh, you have a couple of Stanford kids out here um, who have surprised with how fluid they are for their stature as well. Um, You've got Xavier Hutchinson from Iowa State, who has been a pretty consistent performer in contested situations as well. Um, There's all different kinds of flavors. And I guess the question for Miami is, what role do they envision for Eric Azucama, a middle-round selection from them from last year, who we finally got to see a little action late in the season, get a handful of reps, but it was largely a quiet transitional year for him. Uh, And uh, whether or not he's ready to take over for Trent Shurfield, do you bring Trent Shurfield back? Do you feel like, you need to go get another player uh, to play the Trent Shurfield role. Uh, th- there's some potential flux in the depth of that Dolphins receiver room when I think you consider all the options that they have on the table that there's all kinds out here and there are all kinds that are really going to be available in the rounds in which the Dolphins have picked. So it, it's a it's a fun group to look at and kind of say, hey, there's, there's nobody here at, at receiver that we should consider to be off the menu as it pertains to the Dolphins. Yeah, that sounds good. And I mean, that's probably the one position where if I looked at it and you said one position you have to bring back the exact same room, what would it be? It might be the wide receivers room. So they're in good shape there, but it's always good to hear that. And it seems to be the case every year. There's always so many receivers available that can fit what your specific team needs are. And you mentioned Trent Scherf, we know how important he is to the blocking game here uh, in the running game. And, and kind of speaking of that and condensing things inside, I wanted to isolate the tight end position on its own because, you know, one, how good of this draft class looks to be at the position. Free agency looks to be similar, you know, as far as what's available right now. That will change when teams start, you know, applying franchise tags and long-term contracts. But uh, Kyle, first, are any of the top five tight ends in this year's class down in Mobile? And then from there, just give us the rundown on the players you liked that could be fits in this system with McDaniel and Frank Smith and John Embry 
in the Miami Dolphins offense. Yeah, uh, Luke Musgrave's definitely a top two tight end uh, in this top class two. in general. And uh, I would not be surprised if he ends up getting up into that first round stratosphere when it's all said and done. I mean, you saw him in person. You said, holy cow, this dude <laughs> looks like he's built in a lab. And then he practices and he says, yeah, I felt it was great to be back out there. Hadn't played a game in, in like five months, uh, but I felt slow. Like my legs felt heavy. It took me till about the end of the practice on Tuesday before I kind of got my legs up underneath me. And then sure enough, uh, he was the fastest GPS tracked time tight end on Tuesday's practices at 18 and a half miles per hour when he said he felt slow. So we kind of got a chuckle out of that. And then the Wednesday GPS numbers come out and he's the first senior bowl tight end in the last five years with zebra tracking technology to crack 20 miles per hour on the GPS. So the big boy he can run, he's got strong hands, he can block. He talked about the enthusiasm that he has for blocking. And I think that's the thing for Miami. When you consider the receiving skill set that the Dolphins have had with Mike Gusecki, you foil that with um, the blocking skill set of some of the other players at the position. And then you, consider is there an opportunity to get all of that in one player and the challenges that it could pose to opposing defenses in addition to trying to accommodate for all the speed that the Dolphins have on the outside in the backfield I think that's really uh, an exciting opportunity for Miami if it proposes itself to the team now the challenge is, is Musgrave is performing at a very high level Dalton Kincaid from uh, Utah uh, was scheduled to be here he unfortunately has an injury and, and was not able to come down and participate but he was one of the the top five as well, for sure. I'd like to acknowledge at least one day three name who had a really nice practice on Thursday, uh, a number of big-time catches, and it's Payne uh, Durham from uh, Purdue. This was a guy who's a little bit more of a renowned blocker, but they went to the high red zone, and he caught a high-pointed ball against two defenders uh, to, to go up and catch the football in the corner of the end zone, and then they did two-minute offense to close the, the practice. And he makes the seam catch that gets him 27 yards and gets in the field goal range. So uh, the Purdue tight end certainly helped himself throughout the course of this week, uh, finished his practice week with an exclamation point and, and kind of showcased a skill set that gives him uh, some nice versatility as potentially a day three target. I love when you perk up about players at positions that could potentially be needs for the Miami Dolphins. It sounds like a good time to, to have a need at some of these spots you're talking about here. And let's go ahead and flip it over to the other side of the football and, and talk front seven as a whole before doing defensive backs. Now you already mentioned Julius Brents is a name that really stands out to you off the top. You and I have had so many conversations about this. The pass rush was really good this year, Kyle. The front was good. We needed a better marriage of rush and coverage all year to kind of, you know, bring it all together. And it happened at times. But a lot of that front is back this year, man. And I'm pumped up about it. So let me go ahead and phrase the question this way to you. Where are you looking on the front seven in this defense? And then who fits those interests that you might have this week in Mobile? I, I think the the Dolphins, in the same way that we talked about having more diverse skill sets and single players at the tight end position. I think that's relevant in the linebacker group. You know, when you think about Jerome Baker and he's a kind of the de facto three down player, but that other spot is either Elan and Roberts as a guy who's frequently playing downhill. And when he's on the field in passing situations, a lot of the times he's adding on as a pressure player. And then you foil that with Duke Riley, who I thought has been a, a pretty sturdy player for the dolphins, but he is a little bit more of a space linebacker. Can you find a player that can do both? And of course, the team drafted Channing Tindall, and he uh, had a transitional year in the same way that Eric Azukama did. And, and the team's faith in him 
and his ability to do that may dictate just how urgent the Dolphins feel adding another linebacker that's physically capable of doing all of the above is for the team this offseason. But uh, there, there were a couple of guys, um, Cam Jones from Indiana, who missed the last eight games of the season with a foot injury, uh, Dion Henley from Washington State. I know that's going to perk you up. Yep, go Cougs. Um, former wide receiver who transitioned to safety at Nevada. And then he transitioned to linebacker at Nevada, and then he transferred to Washington State. He's been really good in the pass rush stuff. Um, I think there's some really rangy guys here at linebacker here that if, if, especially when you consider the expiring contracts that the Dolphins are facing at that position, you don't know for sure who's going to be back. Um, There's no shortage of athletic linebackers, and I think that's probably the top spot when I think about the front seven that Miami is going to have to negotiate who they want to bring back, who financially it it makes sense to bring back, who's played themselves into a different stratosphere than Miami has budget for. Those are all questions the team is going to have to ask themselves, but there's a good group of linebackers down here. Absolutely. Yeah. I get the sense that, you know, kind of going through my own off season, uh, you know, what's, what's projected to be free agency and draft and our own incumbents, our own free agents up. It it looks like Miami's going to have options, which they tend to put themselves in that position every single year with the flexibility of how they do things with, you know, player negotiation, all that fun stuff. And, and the the flexibility of the players they get, it just kind of trickles down all the way to ultimately having options in the end. And let's go ahead and finish up here with the penultimate question before I get to my kind of fun game I have for you at the very end that puts you on the spot. Uh, big dog of draft network, Kyle Krabs, the defensive backs. We saw Miami deal with an absurd level of attrition here. Uh, defensive scheme shift uh, likely coming here, obviously. I want to talk both corner and safety. What are we looking at those two positions here as far as potential fits down in Mobile for the Senior Bowl? So I mentioned Julius Prince. Uh, I'd like to again mention Julius Prince. Uh, <laughs> sure. I'm a b- big fan of this guy. I talked to him after practice on Tuesday, and he- he's just wired the right way to be a really successful player. And he checks a lot of boxes for his instincts and his physicality and his length. I think if you go, go beyond that, uh, Darius rush corner from South Carolina was another guy who timed really well as like a six foot two corner, uh, Rejon Wright from, from Oregon state another pac 12 guy, another big corner uh, long. And you think about, you know, regardless of, of whether or not the dolphins are calling zone or man type defenses to have length, that is important. Uh, to be able to do. Uh, and, and those guys, I think, have all showcased movement and skills in addition to length that f- gives you some feasibility that they could be versatile coverage players on the back end of your defense. At safety, uh, Jamie Robinson from Florida State is a name that pops to me. And the other one is Sidney Brown uh, from Illinois. It's the the brother of Chase Brown. And Sidney, for my money, was the best practice player across all three days for either team. I think he's made himself a a lot of money with the attention that he has drawn to himself. And this is a player, when you think about versatility in the secondary, he's covered tight ends at Illinois. They they were very man heavy with their defense, obviously with Devin Witherspoon, who's rumored to be a a top 20 type selection. The other corner, Quan Martin played in the slot and the nickel and, and took wide receivers, but he's played outside corner before. Uh, Sidney Brown in this in that safety room and then the other safety Kendall Smith is a true free safety who I think is a draftable guy as well so they they had a lot of NFL talent in that secondary and Sidney Brown being kind of the chess piece that moved around and I think this week got him got him a chance to showcase himself matching up against some of the players that maybe Quan Martin in that Illinois defense was usually covering 
And instead he got a chance to cover the receivers instead of the tight ends and the instincts and, and confidence and, and foot quickness. There are the things that really pop. And he was the guy who, when he was out on the field, the coaches were running everything through Sidney Brown. So, you know, the football IQ and the ability to pick stuff up quickly is there. Uh, I really, really liked his game. I thought he had an excellent week this week and I think he was the star from the safeties. There's never been a coach that didn't like that traded by the player to get things right the first couple of times and get it communicated to the rest of the defense. Great stuff, Kyle. And uh, we always do this with you here on the podcast because a draft expert typically means we ask about mock drafts and things like that. It's way too early to do this, but we're going to do it anyways because these rosters across the National Football League will change dramatically from now until draft time. But the Dolphins do have... A pick in the second round, two in the third round. And so the game I want to ask you to play is going just from senior bowl talent, a pick that you believe will be there at 52 or wherever it is in the second round, and then two more third round picks that you think will be available at those spots. Three names you would slot in on the Dolphins roster from Mobile today, February 6th. Give us those three names. So, unfortunately, I've kind of beat the dead horse on Julius Brents, but <laughs> I, I will mention him as that second round type of selection i think jamie robinson from florida state could be a player that's very realistically there in the third round uh, he he profiles similarly to to sydney brown uh jamie robinson from florida state as far as the third name i could go kenny mcintosh running back from from georgia who i think had a, a pretty good week this week as well uh, i could also mention roshan johnson who was down here at the running back position he's a little bit more like jeff wilson than raheem mostert but he's a former quarterback uh, he's big, he's physical, he plays super hard. The league expects him to be a top 100 pick. I don't think he really shines as far as a runner. He's going to get what's blocked for him and, and fall forward and get some tough yards, but maybe not hit explosive home runs. Um, but he showcased, he was about the only back that showcased himself really well with uh, pass protection and the passing downs. Some of the backs struggle with catching the ball out of the backfield. I think he's a player who still has top 100 on the menu for him if the Dolphins end up needing another bigger back. And I would also invoke Tajay Spears as the, another potential candidate uh, to potentially be there. I know he's had some knee issues in the past. So at the running back position, which is traditionally devalued by teams, to acknowledge that he, he's had some medical stuff that teams are going to have to sort out. And not every team might give him a passing grade with flying colors as far as his medicals. I think there's enough there that Tajay Spears would be another end of day two candidate for the Dolphins as well at the running back spot. It's funny you mentioned Brent's in the in the the fifty range because when you mentioned his temperament and the way he plays, it kind of reminded me of uh, Cam Taylor Britt last year, uh, the rookie from the Bengals who had a really good uh, postseason run there for Cincinnati. Um, sounds like kind of similarly wired there in terms of their physicality and the way they play the game. So good stuff, man. That's that's exactly what we were going for here on the podcast. Kyle Krabs grinding the tape on Twitter, locked on Dolphins. No title listed on the bio for TDM, but we already came up with it. Um, big dog. The big dog of TDN. Big dog. And scouting CBO, chief boss. Uh, damn it, I messed it up. That would have been great. Chief boss officer. I'm not going to cut it out. That's my next one for you, Kyle. We'll see you in Indy, man. Thanks a lot for coming on the podcast today, my friend. Travis, it's always good catching up with you, man. Appreciate it. And uh, thanks for having me on. And there he goes. Kyle Krabs went very long here, but that's okay. We planned on that because we cannot get enough draft information here on the podcast. Boots on the ground down in Mobile from Kyle Krabs. Big thanks to him. Check out his podcast, Locked on Dolphins. Check out the Draft Network. They're doing big, big stuff over there 
at TDN. In the meantime, it's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast with Seth and Juice, the team YouTube channel for media availabilities and Dolphins Today, and some more off-season content. And finally, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline and Cameron. Daddy's coming home.